Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Sunday, June sixteenth episode of Poets and Muses. We chat with poets about their inspirations. I'm your host, Imogen Arate. Please check out our new website at poetsandmuses.com, where you can also link to our social media on SoundCloud, Instagram, as well as Twitter, which is under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter either at the bottom of our Poets and Muses website or at the upper right-hand side of our Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. With us today is Aaron Finglass, who will be discussing with me his poem, Attempts at Autumn, as well as my poem, The Spring Winter. Before we do that, however, I'm going to go over all the poetry events taking place in the Valley during the week of June 17th. Tuesday, June 18th kicks off a week-long writing course entitled Writing Toward the Boundaries of Grief and God, taught by Aaron Noer, who's an MFA student at ASU. It will be taking place at Piper Writer's House at 450 East Tyler Mall in Tempe. From 6 to 8 p.m., Connect and Heal will be hosting its weekly poetry writing workshop at the Chandler Community Center at 125 East Commonwealth Avenue in Chandler. From 8 to 11 p.m., Ken Kong will be hosting his weekly The Underground Experience at 2601 on Central, which is at 2601 North Central Avenue in Phoenix. Signing up to get on the mic starts at 7.30. On Wednesday, June 19th, From 4.30 to 6.30 p.m., PC Rising will be hosting its Phoenix College Teachers and Faculty Reading at Trans Am Phoenix, which is at 1506 Grand Avenue in Phoenix. From 7.30 to 9 p.m., Lacuna Cava Bar will be hosting its weekly open mic night on-site at 831 North 3rd Street in Phoenix. Signing up to get on the mic starts at 7 p.m. On Thursday, June 20th, From 6 to 7.30 a.m., the Virginia G. Piper Center for Creative Writing and Burton Bar Central Library will be hosting a reading with Ophelia Zepeda at Burton Bar Central Library's Pulliam Auditorium, which is at 1221 North Central Avenue in Phoenix. From 7 to 9 p.m., Long Known Publishing will be hosting its weekly Phoenix Poetry Slam at the Lost Leave at 914 North 5th Street in Phoenix. Make sure to get there by 6.50 p.m. to participate. From 7.30 to 9 p.m., District 4 Poetry will be hosting its monthly poetry open mic at Jarrett's Coffee, Tea, and Gallery at 154 West Main Street in Mesa. Signing up to get on the mic starts at 7 p.m. From 8 to 11 p.m., Quinton Oni will be hosting his weekly open mic at Jobot Coffee and Bar at 333 East Roosevelt Street in Phoenix. Signing up to get on the mic starts at 7.30 p.m. On Saturday, June 22nd, from 7 to 9 p.m., Tamika Sanders, or Dr. T, will be hosting her bi-weekly open mic night featuring quintessence at Aroma Mocha Coffee, which is at 506 East Western Avenue, Suite 103 in Avondale. From 7 to 10 p.m., Otterfolk will be hosting Phoenix Fables Poetry and Art Show at Jenna Gali Yoga, which is at 1801 South Gentilly Lane in Tempe. Now let us turn to our poet guest of the week, Aaron Finglass. 
Hi, Aaron. Thank you for coming on to Poets and Muses. Thank you for having me. You brought with you today your poem, Attempts at Autumn. Before we get into the hover, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm 23. Only lived in Phoenix for about a year now. Originally from Baltimore, Maryland. And I'm kind of out here by myself. And I like to write and be in nature. And I do improv comedy also. Mm-hmm. Something interesting I've picked up since I moved here. <laughs> Great. Yeah. The poem you brought was an attempt at autumn. And all the imagery inside, yeah, it does remind me much more of the East Coast. Because <laughs> I'm from the East Coast as well. Definitely different than the scenery here which my poem, The Spring Winter, refers to. It refers to here or there? Yeah, here, here. Okay, different, I was wondering about that. Yeah, um, different landscapes. Can you tell us how you arrived at writing poetry or writing in general? Yeah, I guess I enjoyed it in high school, but I don't think I really found it as something significant until I went to college in Michigan and... I did this spring semester program, and they actually took us to New Hampshire. It was located on this lake in New Hampshire, and we got college credits. And it was kind of like you got rid of technology for six weeks and were able to like keep a journal and study mm-hmm. transcendental literature and all that jazz. Mm-hmm. And I guess at that point, I just the nature, whatever it was, like whether it just gave me time to think I just started writing poems Mm. and I remember like the first one I wrote was like the first one that I felt like anything actually inspired me oh wow so ever since then I feel like it's been a big part of my life great great so that's pretty recent in college wow yeah that's that was um, in 2015 so really for four years ago so yeah And did you write before that? or Maybe I have, like, some things on my laptop from middle school and high school, but I never saw it as something that I liked to do, no. Okay. From all the people that come to the podcast, it really varies. Some people, for them, it's very recent, whether writing or poetry. For others, they've been doing it since they were kids, one form or another. Yeah, I always find it interesting, and as I've been listening to the podcast, yeah, it's super different between when people and how people come upon it. This poem that you brought to us, is that something that you wrote earlier on during these four years? or? Yeah, this was in 2000, kind of in the middle, actually. Fall of 2017, in November. Great. I could go into a little of the background, or should I read it first? Yeah, why don't you read it to us first, and then we can go into the background and talk about it. Sure, okay. Great. All right, so it's called Attempts at Autumn. One, it started with a buzzing in our minds, faced with the task to thread new ropes through tight fingers, easing through conversation with tense hands. Two, in addition to daily adjustments, The sun walking to dusk, we let our eyes adjust to the leaves, the way they wait for nature to continue. Three, there we were, repetitive voices in the night, speaking of cycles but looking toward an end. Four, 
There always was the red throat of the hummingbird, though we haven't seen it for years, since the water came, washing away previous notions of stillness. By this very lake, the eagle waits, shadows of her own destiny lying on the surface. 5. Listen. The crickets will beat tonight. The girl with the braces will pass you tomorrow, as you pass the jewelweed, telling you what she writes and what part of the world she likes to hear. 6. And so it goes. It's not about everything. Not about one piece of a bird's flight past her periphery. Not her imagination taking off behind the big tulip. We move until an unexpected, undesirable change. Even they will feel it. Those who we watch, who run with intuition, they grab and will have to let go. 7. Thrown from different moments and pursuits, tastes of color and notions of time, we fell through this divot of calculated structure, recalibrated to strangeness once again, and found a stuttering blue jay resting up and down, whistling his life calls, his timeless tune. 8. Out of a distant truth, witnessed over and again, rings semantics. You. Us. Our beaks. We open to you. Us. We are calling to you. Take your song and depart. 9. Interpreting passionately for others with different purposes, different lenses, where pictures dot the wall, we will hang. 10. A musical coherence of our own, more flighty than the nuthatch, the quantum bluebird who flew from the east and arrived. I forced this out of my throat selfishly, saying what I think of this moment and the rest. As children's eyes wandered and floated away from the center, fluttering chaos, I silently claimed, is a love for what is fragile, reclaiming this unnecessary, ordinary change. 11. Pitch black universe, wandering eyes on an azure lake top. Would you like to live, to feel your body as waving limbs? knowing everyone but stuck in static zen. 12. When you told me about your blended life, dull eyes on a soft, sinking world, projections on the air, when you said you loved this world of science. 13. The mysticism of this place, the history mixed with transient personal narrative, burrowed in a small, red, American spot, like the Blue Jay, Specific in the instance of a song, stuck in a collective head that iterates for all sanity. 14. It's raining in numerical cycles. The first regards the idea of liquid. Swimming in ethos. Loving a man who swam 30 minutes to the coast of Australia, 15 of those chased by a tiger shark. Second is the emotional cortex. Billions of neurons dropping onto wet concrete. Overlooked and dull, these raindrops are far from sentimental. The third tells of sheer quantity, the notion that upon death, all the endorphins that fill the air give you the choice to exist as all of the drops at once, unbounded by time, or as nothing at all. Thank you. It's really a gorgeous poem. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, made me think of all these romantic notions of the East Coast of leaves <laughs> changing yeah. and the birds flying over placid lakes. 
<laughs> so what's the background? So it was actually in Indiana, southern Indiana. I think the whole area is called Brown County. Mm-hmm. And I was there for three months after I graduated college, working at an outdoor education center. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty much in the middle of nowhere. We just lived basically in the woods. We had a little cabin, like, way at the back of the area. We were just surrounded by woods. And the closest town was Martinsville, and it was, like, 20 miles away. Mm-hmm. And it was just a very strange experience. Mm-hmm. Because I was only there for three months and everything felt super temporary mm-hmm. and it was autumn or fall and everything was changing and I had just graduated from college so it felt like a lot of things were kind of up in the air. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some parts of your poem kind of reminded me of backpacking or youth hostel experiences. It has that making friends and snippets of conversations that you hear from people that you meet randomly that you might never see again. There's that blended life experience that you talked about. You can just see some of them, even though you give us just vignettes of all these little experiences. Yeah, that's what it kind of felt like. I think the reason why I said it was kind of attempts is because there was just so much that happened there. Like, we basically got new groups of kids every three days, and you got a new group of 20 kids. So just having so many interactions with so many new people mm-hmm. every day. And yeah, the fans about the blended life was kind of just an interaction with one of my coworkers, and he was very, like... I don't know. He was just like no one I've ever met before. He was very like practical and like science oriented. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if that stanza kind of came up from my interaction with him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It just seemed very like very chill kind of a moment that you have with them where I mean, I'm assuming he's smoking something. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think he he was smoking. He said he actually, we had a conversation. He said he couldn't smoke anything because he took this medicine. He was also like autistic and he was very open about the medicines that he took about it. And so I felt like he was always like on some, like, (laughs) I don't know. He was always like in a different mind state than anyone else. So I felt like whenever I talked to him, I was just entering into this totally different world. Because he didn't really care about a lot of the things that most people care about, like being a certain way huh. in social situations. That's interesting. Yeah, because reading it on my own, I thought you were talking about, you know, marijuana. Because oh. <laughs> maybe you guys were smoking and joined together and then you had like a moment of connection. Because you talk about the blend of life and then dull eyes on self, excuse me, soft thinking world and projections on the air all of these could be like metaphors for smoking (laughs) yeah i mean definitely i see it now i've never (laughs) looked at it but i think maybe it was just more about we were talking about just like our emotional experience Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and just how we both experience depression in different ways okay i think that's more what i was getting at but Okay. I see the, the weed in it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's funny because I don't have a lot of personal experiences with weed. Mm-hmm. So I only know it kind of secondhand, both smoke as well as yeah. people telling me about it. So I was just like, 
Is he talking about weed? Is he talking about smoking weed? Because it sounds like it could be smoking weed. He could I be wonder, having this moment. <laughs> I wonder, a lot of people who meet me just, like, assume that I'm high <laughs> for some reason. So I wonder if that influenced it at all. Well, you like, have a very chill kind of demeanor about you. You know, it's very much like, oh, whatever. Yeah, I actually don't really. I mean, I used to, but I don't really smoke anymore so I, I guess I still carry along that <laughs> sense with me <laughs> going back a bit just overall I see a lot of references to birds and I was wondering if you were a birder or <laughs> that's just something that came with the fact that kept seeing all of these different birds through the season I think it was a little of both I am really into birds okay I, I wouldn't call myself, like, a skilled birder. Like, I, I can identify a good amount, but more just, like, an amateur appreciator of mm-hmm. birds. And it was also the fact that during this program, like, one of the classes we had to teach was on birds. So oh, okay. we were just constantly kind of looking for birds. And one of my coworkers, she basically could identify, like, any bird. And wow. So that was eye-opening just... I don't know. There were so many things that I learned about just being in nature like that you don't learn about when you're not actively teaching about nature. Because I didn't study. I studied English, so I didn't mm-hmm. know about any environmental science or mm-hmm. anything. So anyway, the, the birds in the poem, I think, were a result of just constantly seeing them around. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of quiet walks to and from the main campus okay. in the morning and at night is like when birds come out. So okay. the same ones would come up and yeah, I would think like I was even seeing like the same bird that I had seen earlier mm-hmm. and just constantly. Like resident birds. Yeah. I didn't mention the poem, but there was, oh, actually I did. So one of them was the eagle resting like the shadow of her destiny on the lake. Mm -hmm. There was a pair of eagles, bald eagles, that nested on the lake. Every once in a while when we walked to the lake, Mm -hmm. you could see them hunt. And it was always like this surreal moment where the eagle would just get out of her nest and dive down and like catch a fish. Wow. It's like you were watching planet Earth. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's funny because I was at a poetry workshop earlier this week and... This guy was talking about around where he lives. There's also a resident eagle, he says. That, oh, yeah? That dives. Yeah, and he was talking about... I, I'm not sure if it's in Scottsdale or somewhere else. But he was talking about how it's a pair as well. They basically just circle around and then dive into the pond for fish. He put that in his poem as well. So. Yeah, I mean, it's just like an out-of-this-world experience. Just watching. Mm-hmm. One time we actually got to watch... I think it was the eagle was chasing an osprey who had caught a fish around the lake, and we mm-hmm. just watched it for maybe like 20 minutes. <laughs> and wow. Yeah. There were all these points when I was working there. I felt like I was stressed out a lot because of the job, but there were so many points where it just feels like I was in a different time zone. I was just listening to Zach Galifianakis talk on the NPR show this morning, and mm-hmm. he was saying how he spends a lot of time in the woods, and he said something like, If you've never spent a lot of time in the woods, you don't realize that time literally slows down for people in the woods. And that's how I feel like thinking back to this. So Mm -hmm. I kind of got sidetracked there, but. No, it's fine. I mean, the whole poem has a very serene quality, despite all the things that are happening in each 
section. But overall, you get the sense of just enjoying outside the hectic nature of human life mm-hmm. that you experience in like a city, especially a concrete city like Phoenix. That you get to tune yourself, your senses to what's going on in all the other creatures' lives. Yeah, it's almost like you're not as significant because. There's just this whole world going on around you that just has this own cycle. Like, it has its own time scale. It doesn't care about the time that it says on your phone or Mm -hmm. whatever you have to do. I think it's kind of a sad thing sometimes living in Phoenix because I think about how you can be more in the woods. Right, right. Well, do you go to some of the surrounding areas? There are some wooded areas near here. I don't think I've been to... really wooded area mm-hmm. since I've been here now. I've been to like some of the lakes like oh, Saguaro nice. Lake. That place is beautiful. And, oh. I mean even getting out like into the hills like South Mountain mm-hmm. and McDowell area like even just getting away from the sound of the city is it's like mind-altering. It is. It is very different and I really like that the mountains are so close that we can go to yeah. Those we can access those relatively easily. Yeah, I was on the east side yesterday, like way into the avenues. Mm-hmm. It's Caesar Chavez Park, and it's a pretty large park that has a lake. It looks like it's at the foot of the South Mountains. It's pretty amazing. Even though just on the other side of the street, there's all these strip malls. Yeah, it's still amazing if you just look and just look at the nature scenery it's just so ever-present and it slows down time in some ways just by looking at them because they don't change moment to moment yeah especially in the desert i mean phoenix and the 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 surrounding desert has its own beauty that i feel like i need to really learn to appreciate because yeah the time in the desert is much slower than the time anywhere else i think Yeah, yeah, it is. Oh, I just wanted to ask, from my own knowledge, nuthatch. Is that a bird? Yeah, it's like a really small bird. Quick fact about a nuthatch is they can walk upside down on trees. Oh, cool. I don't know. They're just a small bird. (laughs) Okay, okay, cool. Yeah, because I I don't really know the differences between birds. I wouldn't be able to... Well, hummingbird, I can ID now. Yeah, there was one hummingbird in there. I think I was talking about, I forget which kind. But yeah, Arizona has the most species of hummingbirds in oh, really? the whole yeah. U.S. Okay. 17, I think, or something like that. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I can't say that I can tell them apart. Maybe the size. I don't think I could tell any apart. Yeah. I've seen some of them, especially before the heat really becomes oppressive. Yeah. You see them all. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I wanted to find out from this the first section you were talking about you started off with this kind of tenseness mm-hmm. right and i was wondering what that was about to thread new robes through tight fingers i guess that was just kind of like a personal experience made its way in, into the poem i just moved to this place and i was just having like a lot of i guess anxiety in general at that point mm-hmm. which i think made its way into the poem mm-hmm. a little bit so I was, like, living with these new people, and I had to learn this new job, and I literally had to learn how to, like, belay people, so I think that's where the threading 
the new right. ropes right. came into and learning to interact and live with new people. And so I guess the buzzing that it starts with was just like this anxiety, this like anticipation of a new time in my life. And I think it relates to like a lot of points in life when you start something new. Mm-hmm. And you had just graduated too, right? Kind yeah. Of- well, I had this intermission. I went to work in New Hampshire at a summer camp Mm -hmm. after I graduated and then went to work in Indiana. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think I was just experiencing a lot of like unsettling feelings and having a lot of anxiety at that point. Just about like what, (laughs) what am I doing type. Yeah, yeah. It makes sense, right? Because you have these short-term jobs, whereas you kind of expect still in this generation that, you know, you want to go into your first full-time job. Things will be more settled, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm still trying to figure out if I'm going into a long-term profession. I'm in a master's degree to be a teacher, so it's like a one-year program, and so maybe... I'll be in the classroom for the rest of my life, or maybe I'll be doing something else. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, hey, you can certainly teach, like, creative writing with these, all of these imageries in your poem. Yeah, that's the goal. I want to connect with kids and get them into writing, but I think it's harder to do than to say. (laughs) Well, yeah, but you learn as you go, right? Mm -hmm. It definitely takes talent and skill and developable skill to translate something you can do into something that's teachable right yeah yeah but it's cool that you're doing that because we desperately need good teachers yeah i mean there are a lot of good teachers i think when people say that it like discounts they're good teachers but yeah there it still needs more we need more yeah yeah as you heard, some of my guests are teachers or they're mm-hmm. in education. Yeah. So the overcrowding, the disproportionate rate between students and teachers makes the need for good teachers to be even more present. Yeah. If you have 40 kids in a class, that it makes it almost impossible to task to help them all or help any of them, really. Yeah, yeah. Especially teasing somebody's talent out mm-hmm. when they're not used to harnessing that talent right so it's definitely good that you go into that and you have a desire to go into that i also wanted to go to part 13 where you were talking about this oh yeah i did want to talk about that actually oh good i was thinking about that when i was reading it good should i just yeah go ahead i think what i was trying to get at in that it was weird because martinsville indiana I, i had never lived in like I mean, I didn't live in the town, but I never lived in, like, small-town, white America. Just really... Like, there's a stereotype about that, I mm-hmm. feel like. And I think that I started it saying the mysticism of the place. Like So, like, also, Martinsville is known for... It was where, like, one of the Grand Dragons of the KKK lived at yeah, one point. Wow. So if you look up Martinsville on Google, it, like, not a lot of great things come up. All right, I will now. And I'm Jewish, and it's a very Christian area. And mm-hmm. I never really, like, thought about it in this way of there actually being, like, this mysticism to small-town America. Not even small-town America, but, like... I'm, like, treading lightly here, but, like, conservative America, Mm -hmm. like, they live... Maybe I'm just referring to the idea of 
having religion all around you, Mm -hmm. everyone kind of believing in the same thing. And maybe that is what America is. I mean, it's dominated by a Christian philosophy. But for some reason, I felt like a sort of mystical element of it there. And I think that's what I was trying to get at, that not like that their history is at all positive, Mm -hmm. uh, but... I feel like I'm having trouble <laughs> explaining this. No, no, it's but, um, fine. It was just like this weird feeling of being in this new place and feeling like it kind of represented a mysticism of America, like mm-hmm. this kind of devotion to Christianity and Jesus and all that surrounds mm-hmm. that. But also a certain kind of worship, right? I mean, because Christianity comes in all yeah, many different sects. Right, totally. A certain kind that I actually probably would need to do a lot more looking into to actually speak about it but and coming from like a different background yeah a specific type of christianity which i don't exactly know how to define but do you know what sect they were were they more evangelical i think i understand what you mean by mysticism it's just when it's a small town people all believe in the same religion in the same sect of the same religion right everyone goes Sorry. It's okay. There's almost like an unspoken knowing. Yeah, that is what I'm getting at. And every place has it. It's mm-hmm. just that I never think about a so quote-unquote uncultured place as Martinsville, Indiana, as mm-hmm. having their own mysticism flowing through. You usually think of like different traditions having more of a mystical element. Like, I don't know, even like in the Jewish tradition or... And when I read about Native American traditions or just... Right, right. Well, isn't Kabbalah more the mysticist yeah. sect of Judaism? Yeah, which I, to be honest, know only some of what Kabbalah is about. Yeah. I don't know. I really don't know anything of what <laughs> Kabbalah is about. But yeah. I only know a little bit because of Madonna. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. I forgot that she was into that. Yeah. Yeah, well, what they say about Kabbalah and Judaism, at least in the Orthodox sphere, is that you really shouldn't even touch it until you have learned all of the letter of the law type, like all of the Mishnah, Gemara, all of what you should be doing day to day. And once you do that, you should... So Orthodox Jews were probably very ticked off that Madonna popularized Kabbalah because (laughs) of that idea. But that's a whole different... So she's kind of just commandeering it. She's... What's the... Oh, what's that word? Appropriate? Yes. So she's kind of just appropriating it, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know how I feel. <laughs> I feel bad like, out Madonna. <laughs> <laughs> I think that people can get something out of Kabbalah if they read it, probably. Mm-hmm. But there's also a point to be made about appropriation. <laughs> yeah. There's always that point where you're just dipping your toes in and you act like you're the guru. Yeah. So there's always that when people who steep into that practice kind of look at that and be like, and she's worshipped, come on! <laughs> you know? Right, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe she is Madonna and she could kind of do what, or she is but going she to do. she can get away with it. <laughs> yeah, she could get away with it. Maybe she shouldn't be able to, but. Yeah. So it sounds like it was a nicer experience than you had expected, especially given the fact that Grand Wizard of yeah. the KKK used to live in Martinsville. As a Jewish person, I imagine you must have been worried, apprehensive to live in a place like that. 
given its history, at um, least in the beginning, if nothing else. Well, one of the benefits of being Jewish is that you can hide behind your white skin a lot of the time, so yeah. whether that's a good or, or bad thing, but... For Ashkenazi, uh, yeah. Right, for Ashkenazi Jews, right. Uh, I'm sorry, I, not all, obviously, not, yeah. Being a white Jew in America, you can pretty easily pass. But they, I mean, people at the place that I worked at had mentioned, like, African-American people who worked there actually, like, felt pretty uncomfortable going into that town and mm. because there's still, like, those at least undertones of racism yeah. there. And mm. But back to, like, the point, um, yeah, I guess it was kind of eye-opening experience. Not that I was like, oh, these people are... It was just when you have a perception of a place and then you go actually live in the place, it completely shatters your perception in like yeah. every way. Yeah, there's a lot more gradation that you get to right. experience. Yeah. Yeah. Even from the history, from the prominence of this history, right? It's always interesting to compare real life to stereotypes. Yeah. And people don't think of that as a stereotype, but it's still, in a way, is its own stereotype. Wait, that what is a stereotype? <laughs> the small town, the house, the grand wizard of the KKK. You automatically have some, some assumptions right. about it. Yeah, I but think just... It's an interesting way of looking at how we define a stereotype, right? Yeah. And... And then comparing it with the people because culture change as people change. So even if there's still even overt or covert racism within the living culture, it still varies because people are, are not exactly the same. It's not like they can all blend together and become one giant kind of person. Yeah, right. It, yeah, you can't ever generalize a whole town, a whole family, a whole community. But it was actually interesting because a lot of the, there was actually a big immigrant population in the Martinsville area. Oh, okay. Especially there was a a lot of Burmese immigrants that had arrived there. and Recently, right? Very recently. Yeah. When I was working there, a lot of the kids that came to us Mm -hmm. were just learning English and... It was interesting because I I don't think this place had experienced a lot of diversity in the past. And for some <laughs> reason, they just now had much more diversity than they've ever had. And wow. only a couple times. I think one time I heard a teacher kind of make a, a little borderline remark about one of the kids that I felt like was a product of her not having cultural awareness. Mm. But that was... That that's just a speci- that might be a specific, not relevant. <laughs> no, I mean I think it, I think that's what's interesting about again an expectation of something a place like this, and then living a place, living in it to experience the people. One would think, given the history of the place, that you will hear those remarks, maybe even more direct remarks all the time. Whereas your experience was not quite that at all. Actually, much more subtle in a way, which is, in a way, it brings you hope, right? Because... Yeah, I mean, it really does. I think that, yeah. I don't know what actual percentage of the population is going out and screaming racist 
stuff, but maybe it's pretty high, but maybe it's just the media making it seem like it's high. Or it brings me hope in the sense that that experience made me see that people are, I think, generally good and have good values because of it's just a lot of people have good values. And But it gets rid of some hope because of the fact that people, have, including me, have the stereotype before I went into it and and we have a lot of stereotypes of each other and yeah, yeah I don't know how those are gonna go away or resolve themselves yeah Sarah Silverman I don't know if she's still doing this show something something America I forget what exactly the name where she goes into small towns and she talks with people and she mm-hmm. kind of interact with them one-on-one and one-on-one situations despite what both will proclaim as their political beliefs and, and religious beliefs and whatnot, they're still able to relate on a one-on-one basis as your experience in the small town or actually outside the small town. You are still able to live well within this community despite the fact that they're religiously different, culturally different mm-hmm. from you. But on a day-to-day basis, you are still able to get along and they are, they do have immigrants. And, uh, I mean, I imagine these Burmese immigrants are the Rohingya, yes. who are Muslim. Yeah. So that, in contrast to what the KKK preaches mm-hmm. in its own philosophy, and then contrast that with the everyday makes you kind of hopeful in terms of if we can just get people together and live alongside of each other and interact on an everyday basis, even if we still proclaim different things, maybe on a day-to-day, we're still able to live together and get along well. Yeah. I mean, I think we could take some lessons from kids, like being in the classroom, I think. Mm-hmm. Kids of the classroom I go to on Tuesdays, uh, it's eighth grade, and it's like a hugely diverse population. and. Mm-hmm. No one has any issue with each other, like... Yeah. And and it's very, like, open. These kids are super open-minded, and they Mm -hmm. inspire me a lot when I go there. And, I mean, in every sense, in terms of race, gender, religion, everything, it's just a lot more accepted in that classroom than I can see on a national sphere. So that gives me some hope, too. Yeah, it does. Again, it's the everyday. It's the what is the factual, what is the daily living situation of everyday people rather than on the political sphere of who's yelling at what at the other side. Part of it comes from the fact that they do have interactions. And the fact of having those interactions really bring about the tolerance and acceptance because they are used to each other. Yeah. Whereas if we segregate, whether auto-segregate or being segregated by other forces, then we don't have the interaction, then the stereotypes persist because we have no experience to counter that. Right, yeah. <laughs> cool. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much. I, I really loved your poem. I love how it really brings to mind the pictures of these gorgeous pictures of leaves changing, birds, again, the Placid Lake, all, all of these wonderful things that I love about autumn. That's one of the things I do miss for the East right. Coast, for yeah. having the four very distinct seasons you can still feel seasonal differences here in Arizona, but it's much more subtle. Right. And that's one of the reasons why I decided to do my poem, The Spring Winter, which really 
for people on the East Coast who, or people who have four distinct seasons, you would think it's more spring or more summer, actually. The beginning of summer, end of spring, almost. The time that you were talking about? In, yeah, yeah. yeah. Even, was... even though it's, it's in winter. I mean, mm-hmm. that's one of the things that I've noticed since being in warmer climates is that flowers are four seasons. There are seasonal flowers in places like New York. I'm from New York. So you oh, okay. still see things like hollies, you know, mm-hmm. red. It will bring about some colors during the winter. But here is much more profuse, all the blossoms. And then even in winter, you see all of these colors. Yeah, I have definitely noticed that. And this is my first winter here. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's like a whole different thing to get used to the subtleness. And I just noticed today, I mean, I guess it's already April, but by my house there were just these beautiful purple flowers coming out of the trees. And yeah, I think they're bougainvilleas. They're everywhere, and oh, they yeah. come in so many different colors: that vibrant magenta, the yellows, mm-hmm. the white. Actually, that's what I talk about in the poem. So I'll just okay, read yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. the spring winter. Dearth of gold drove me here, mining for value. The warmth of the land blends into the warmth of its people, ushering in a blossoming mind that transforms despair into bouquets, scenting the valley with their sweetness. Eyes that cry now overrun with joy, red rims taper into crow's feet, shading one's salted cheeks with vines. Winding to trace the metamorphic journey. Wounds gather into hilly scabs healing. With herbs pushing through the stubborn landscape. Dotting green what once had been barren. Caverns drilled to empty the body's precious content. Are filling once again with fresh alluvial riches. As I survey the cracking scars left behind by greedy divestitures of nourishing waters running toward other channels. Yellow, red, and magenta buds greet me in their place, extending warm welcome from their verdant nestling homes, and the dreaded dying winter is resuscitated by bursting colorful life instead. Wow, I really love that Thank you. I guess I... I have a lot of questions about it, but... Well, Ask away. I was just first wondering, how long ago did you write that? It was very recent. It's within oh, okay. the last year. And I think I, ironically, even though this is about winter, I actually wrote this during lover's season. Oh, really? Well, yeah. that's why I was wondering, like, what, if you wouldn't mind, like, saying kind of what was going on in your mind at the time, because it seems like a pretty coming out of a despairing time type of... Yeah, yes. Actually, I wrote this in November, at the end of November, like around Thanksgiving. Because we were going into winter, but because we have these flowers all throughout the winter here. So I've been going through a lot of trauma, and it's been really difficult for me to live with it. And and it's a lot of up and downs I've been experiencing emotionally. And I had accidentally come to Phoenix and then decided that it was kind of a pretty cool place and it kind of satisfied the large criteria, even some of the small ones that I had for a place where I wanted to live. So I was like, okay, I'm live here. And 
it's been a really nice year, and for me, it's been apart from some small problems, which every area has.、Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it, partly because I've connected with the poetry community here, and it's really helped me through writing poetry, and also going to all these poetry events. To help me heal, to find my voice again. So I was feeling kind of what I was describing on a, the landscape, but I was feeling that too in an emotional, spiritual level. That's why I had decided to write the. Most of my poetry tends to be very bleak and sad, and really, <laughs> yeah. And so I was finding myself writing a bunch of happy poetry. I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean. The thing that I really found amazing about the poem was that it just went back and forth between your internal landscape and the external landscape,、mm-hmm. and they, you couldn't tell, or at least I couldn't tell,、mm-hmm. if you were talking about literal spring or an emotional spring or even just a bodily spring. I mean, you describe a lot of. I wanted to ask you about a specific line. Well, you have a lot of imagery about like crow's feet on those are the things near your eyes, right? Yeah, you know, when you smile. Yeah, I was kind of wondering, was this trying to represent one moment, or if、like, you had just smiled for like the first time, or because、oh. it's a lot of like facial imagery or hilly scabs and. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is not driven by a specific moment. It was just that. I found that I was unbalanced. I was happier than I was sad or upset or angry,、mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was talking more about that. So not a specific smile or not the first、gotcha. smile I've had for a while. Yeah, it was just nice, and I wanted to tie some of the sort of the history of the landscape that I know about here to what was happening with me internally, as you mentioned. Yeah, because I had to look up a couple. Well, mostly just alluvial. Like, I didn't really. I mean, Google gave me kind of a picture, but、mm-hmm. what was that kind of representing? Yeah, what is alluvial ridges? <laughs> well, there's a lot of flash flooding around here, especially when it rains. You've seen that during the winter.、Mm-hmm. When it rains, it rains pretty hard.、Uh, I think with climate change, it's changing a little bit. But you know, you should ask people who've been here longer than I have. But I think it tends to rain very hard when it rains, and there's flash flooding. And when that happens, there's always runoff. So nutrients from runoff is getting carried by the water, and it will get deposited somewhere else. And that wherever it gets deposited will have the ridges. And there used to be a lot of mining here. I think there might still be. Don't quote me on that. So again, I, I was using the history of this particular place, but also relating to what I was going through. I felt like when I was going through my trauma, that the people who I thought were my friends took what I treasured about myself away from me, almost as if they were mining from the earth. So I tied in my body to the earth in some ways through this poem. So yeah, that's more like a weather phenomenon, and also. What's going on with Earth healing itself by water moving nutrients from one place to another? Yeah, I really liked that image because you said that you survey the cracking scars left by greedy divestitures, and I actually also had to look up what a divestiture was. But well, how I kind of interpreted that was like you. Well, you kind of spoke to that a little bit. That friends kind of took away at things that were positive, but、mm-hmm. 
I kind of felt like for some reason we like get rid of positive things in our lives without even really realizing it maybe because we think it's for the better but Mm. then you say the water always comes back and I guess it's just like this idea that the body and and earth both have this way of healing themselves Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is is that like a fair way to yeah I think so yeah yeah I think it's great to have your interpretation of your own that's why we both like poetry is not only the fact that we can express something that we want to express but also somebody else can take that and add their own meaning to it for their life and make it personal yeah now that you're saying that yeah definitely i think that this poem like right you shouldn't always assume that you need to get to what the poet wanted to say i mean it's really cool i've never been in this setting where i just get to drill someone about what they were no that's what the podcast is all about yeah but it's really cool yeah because most of the time when you read poetry it's like you're just kind of stuck in this sometimes i find i don't have like the backing to make a like an assertion about something because i can't ask them or something right right it's really cool well, you, you did English as a major, so, I mean, yeah. when you write papers, you always have to sort of look into the background of the author, right, to support some of the theory that you want to put forth. But the great thing about the podcast that we're doing is that we have live authors that we yeah. can ask, whereas more often than not, especially when you're doing a degree, you tend to be reading people who passed a long time ago. So. Yeah, the only I found like the best way is kind of to get their letters or journals or yeah. something. That's always pretty cool, but it's not even close to actually talking to them. But. Yeah, yeah. Funny, we were literally I was talking about this with the previous poet guest I was talking with earlier today that it also comes down to knowing yourself. Being able to clearly communicate what you want also depends on how much you know about yourself. And sometimes even if you have the journal or you have the live person, if they don't know themselves very well, what they're telling you may be actually totally different than what their poem is revealing to you. Yeah, that is a really good point. I think, yeah, what is it? What do you call it? Like, you have, like, this blind zone that blind spots blind spots yeah yeah, Yeah. that other people can see about you i guess that comes out yeah in people's writing a lot too and that that is really cool because it it honestly takes a little pressure off of you as a poet to kind of explain everything Mm because yeah maybe you have a lot of blind spots yeah yeah but and then this poem yeah because this poem to me really illustrated the feeling of coming out of a depression Mm just reminded about beautiful things and yeah especially because you use a lot of natural imagery and how you wove those two they're so interwoven about cycles and just kind of having trust that the earth will bring its people life again and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. rebuild yeah yeah it's definitely one of my more hopeful poems yeah i'd (laughs) like to read your other ones for comparison because i mean yeah, a lot of times I tend to, even if I start writing something really nice and pretty, I will end on a really <laughs> downer note, like, and they die, <laughs> you know, or something like that. That's funny. Well, sad stuff makes for really good poetry, so. Yeah, I mean, definitely strong emotions drive my poems. Yeah. Sometimes when I'm happier, when I'm writing happier poems, they're not very long. But the sadder or angry poems, they tend to be like 
page or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he's like, I'm renting. I'm renting in rhyming in rhythmic phrases. <laughs> I was kind of wondering about one specific line that I don't think I asked yet. Sure. Just the wounds gather into hilly scabs, healing with herbs pushing through the stubborn landscape. Is that a positive thing in your mind? Because I don't know what scabs are. I was just wondering about that line. Maybe you can say something because I I was trying to figure out whether that was more of a positive or a negative notion of, well, actually, now that I'm looking at it, maybe (laughs) it is more positive. Yeah, I would say overall more positive, but in all of the lines, I would say is one of those that's more cautiously optimistic because I'm not saying that everything's all fine and dandy again, Mm -hmm. but more it's healing, it's a process, and it's in that one line I described two different steps. There are still traces of the wounds left in scabs. Even as my name, there's scabs on the earth with my name. There are traces of that, and for eons to come, there will be. But sometimes they're being hidden by other more positive aspects, like the herbs that are pushing through to cover it. Yeah, it's cautiously optimistic. Either way, I really liked that image of the hilly scabs. And I wanted you to go back to your poem a little bit because I think that very stands up because I didn't get to ask that question yet. We got to talk about it. The, oh, oh so right. the red American spot, I guess that's what you mean by this <laughs> sort of like middle America America, right? It's a different kind of America than coastal America. Yeah, it was just because it's Indiana, they call it the crossroads of America. Just, uh-huh. I think that's its slogan, maybe. Mm-hmm. That's what I was kind of getting at. It's just like a red spot <laughs> because red, I guess I was thinking of maybe like conservative. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. yeah, it just felt like very hidden deep. It was just like very American, very, but it's very singular in that it's a specific place in a specific town, but it's very, if you look at like kind of a political map, the whole Indiana is just like red. So you mm-hmm. can think of it that way. Right, right, yeah. When you read it, I saw kind of in the back of my mind the flag image because you said red, American spot, and then you talk about like the blue jays, so you do the red and the blue. and So it kind of reminded me of the flags a little bit. Yeah. That's interesting. I I could probably think about that more. I didn't even see that. I think I was just trying to put in another color there. But <laughs> you have a lot of colors, blue and red, kind of throughout this particular poem because you talk about the red throat of the hummingbird and you talk about the blue jay, mm-hmm. not just here but also in the middle, and the bluebird and the eagle. So there's a lot of Americana. Yeah, it's kind of an American poem. Well, I guess yeah. it is. Yeah. Uh, so. yeah. I think that the Blue Jay kind of contrasts the other part of the stanza because the Blue Jay it has kind of a song. It's actually kind of funny. The trick to remembering like a mnemonic, I don't know if you call it a mnemonic device to remembering the Blue Jay's song, it goes cheeseburger cheeseburger and if you like repeat that that's like the rhythm of the song and it's kind of ironic because america is kind of known for cheeseburgers so anyway it's like if you hear the blue jay sing that one song then it's at the same time very specific and you're like whoa that's cool but 
They've been doing that for millions of years, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all Blue Jays know the same song. And I kind of felt like that was the same thing as being in this little American town. There's so many of these American towns that practice a really similar religion and have really similar beliefs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, like, still seeing it is really specific and unique, too. Yeah, and to have that experience. I feel like I have similar experience coming to Arizona because I was very trepidatious. Also, I'm from the demographic that where this sort of discrimination doesn't happen to as much. Mm-hmm. It's a different sort of discrimination. So maybe I'm not I'm not experiencing it as others would describe more often than not the discrimination of being in Arizona. You're saying that you have kind of seen it differently here or yeah yeah because when people think of immigrants especially here in southwest a border town it's more because it's bordering mexico the direction of the discrimination is that way there are people who want to know where i'm from expecting some other country rather than new york (laughs) (laughs) so it's frustrating i've had that experience both in the states as well as abroad because Mm -hmm. people's mental image of america is that white guy Right. <laughs> so, not, not me. Yeah. That's why it's kind of different for me. But I've definitely talked with poets, as you've heard probably, the experience that they've had uh, from the Latinx community, what that's like. Just in closing, how did people follow you? Where do you usually read if you want to hear more of your poem? Oh, okay. I'm still working on sharing my poems more uh, where you saw me at third space i try to go there every week to either play music or read poetry i have a medium page it's just my name aaron finglass i haven't posted in a while but there's some stuff on there Uh, and i'm not on instagram so yeah either third space or medium i think those are the two spells wow okay okay yeah i saw your poem on medium so i didn't realize you actually have a dedicated page i thought it was just something you submitted on medium anyone can kind of okay a medium page it's just a place when i find something that i like to post it there but okay cool that's good to know yeah i definitely want to work on (laughs) getting out my stuff out there more yeah you should it's a lot of metaphors, very much image-based, imagery-based poets. Thank you. There's a lot to think about. In each section, you can expand that out to like an essay, basically. <laughs> so it's cool. If you don't mind sharing and uh, giving me the URL, and then I can throw that up on the episode notes page. Sure. Well, thank you very much for talking about your poem with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I had a really good time. This good. was absolutely awesome. Good. So thank you. Great. And that concludes the Sunday, June 16th episode of Poets and Muses. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. As always, you can follow us on SoundCloud, Instagram, as well as Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter at the upper right-hand side of our Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. As I mentioned last week, we have a new website called poetsandmuses.com, which contains links to our episodes, social media, as well as events and press clippings. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.